Welcome to another episode of Radio Zaddy. Continuing, as always, a quick stop for some queer culture. I'm Hannah Bestwick. I'm here, as always, with... Daisy Thurston-Gent. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Oh, my God, we made it. We did. We absolutely... <sighs> it's undeniably 2021. And no one can it say is, otherwise. No one can say otherwise. And also, it's so 2021. Today is the last day for people to have their Christmas lights and things up. So it'll be even post-Christmassy as well. So oh, it'll yeah. just be the just bleak... The bleak midwinter instead in january i kind of thought there might be a kind of revolt against that this year and just say say look fairy lights can be all year round not just for christmas fairy lights forever maybe maybe there will be maybe all people have them up yeah what's the what is the kind of suspicion around that you know a year of bad luck i mean it literally cannot get any worse right so um well you i guess you don't at this point you don't really want to tempt fate i suppose not can't can't take any risks the ghost of christmas past (laughs) or present or future all of them you know coming at coming at us from all directions time is a human construct Daisy, I'm not sure. It's just one very large and very scary ghost of of life. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Anything interesting been going on with you recently? I have made a vow to uh, read more, uh, read more queer shit uh, this mm. year. And well, that's good. That'll help us. Yeah, and um, yeah, of all, you know, poetry, literature, um, non-fiction. Mm. So yeah, I'm gonna have a kind of mini book club with myself. That's really nice. I like that. It's just like sometimes it feels like the uh, the more kind of books I consume, the more I understand or, uh, like people. I'm not sure that's definitely like a a way to do that, but it always <laughs> feels like I'm getting a little bit of an insight into somebody somewhere when I whenever I read a book. Yeah, uh, definitely in, an insight into life. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Yeah, we're obviously limited to who we can who we can see and how many people we can see. So I think reading is the is the the lens we need at the moment just to just to go somewhere else just to travel you know whether it's within culture society or you know Mm, geographically definitely like I've just I literally just finished um my brother's husband last night I could have I could have read it much quicker um than I did but I had to I like purposefully stop myself after each chapter because it's it's such a lovely book such a lovely story and the one by and honestly it's it's so sweet but I I just finished it last night and and it was just a bit of a like a moment where you close the book and you just sort of stare off into space like wow did you say it was um a young a young adult book or a book for yeah yeah I think well I I I think it kind of is um it's it's definitely like family friendly mm. um apart from i don't know there's a couple of scenes where there's like some guy like a guy in a bath thinking about things you can't see any of his bits but he's just he is naked and there's one where there's a guy in a shower thinking about life you know how guys do in the shower in films where hey, just we like... all we all take baths and we all shower you know and we're, exactly we're so like it's not explicit but there's just like rippling muscles and you're like oh okay mm. but other than that it's a really lovely lovely book saucy yeah i I recommend it if you want to borrow it i've obviously got it so um it was really nice and also my playstation arrived which i'm really excited about and i played it last night well i will say Um, goodbye and i will see you next year then see you next year i have gaming to do uh yes so that's that is exciting um i think daisy i think it's me first this week it is it definitely is i'm excited I've no idea what you're going to tell me about. Really? No idea at all? Well, I sort of try and guess each 
each episode and i i really oh. you know we've, we've spoken about so many things i i, I always aim gone. to be unreadable that's my aim but uh yeah so this week like i realize i've given myself quite a big topic so i have quite a lot to say and i might end up actually having to cut out quite a lot of this by the time we um by the time i get around to editing but this week i'm going to be talking uh about i'm going to be talking about queerness and autism spectrum disorder and the kind of link that there is between those uh those two things because mm. like so the article specifically that i'm going to be talking about came out in 2019 right at the start but like over lockdown i've been thinking like a lot more about gender um i've had a lot more time to think about myself about other people and and it's you know i've talked about it in the native american two-spirit people yeah, episode yeah. as well yeah it's it's also been something that i've been quite interested in in terms of autism spectrum disorder it was like in 2018 i went for a an appointment with a psychiatrist to kind of start the ball rolling on on seeing if seeing about getting a diagnosis for asd Mm -hmm. uh, myself and also i'm queer and i have other queer friends that are also also on the spectrum with asd so so this this kind of spoke to me in a way Mm. i i find it really interesting but obviously like it's a hugely complex area of like gender identity gender politics and like autism studies and research and psychology but um so i did read like quite a lot of articles to try and understand this topic enough to to talk about it Mm. and the recent academic article that I'm mainly focusing on was from the Anglia Ruskin University um, in Cambridge. They had uh, the psychology department released a paper in 2019 by Stephen Stagg and Jamie Vincent on um, autistic traits in individuals self-defining as transgender and non-binary. I also read Debbie Luxon's article um, from Cambridgeshire Live. She covered this academic article. I also read an article on Asperger Autism Network, which is AA ne.org on sexual orientation gender identity and um, Asperger's and autism which was written by Jamie Freed I read one or two articles on Wikipedia about autism and also gender identities a Healthline article on non-binary identities an ASD article on psychiatry.org an article uh, by Teen Vogue uh, sorry in Teen Vogue by Susanna Weiss on non-binary identities and what people tend to get wrong about them and a final academic article by Murphy et al which is also on ASD trade and transgender links mm, great I'm, <sighs> I'm strapped in i'm ready exactly sorry i just uh Lots yeah i wanted to just great. kind of list where i got these this information i also oh, um also read the nhs website um explanation of asd too again i'm mostly going to be talking about the the main article by the anglia ruskin um university um and it's because there's, there's a, there are quite a few studies that talk about gender identity vari- and sexual variants with autism spectrum disorder. But this study particularly is interesting because it's the first of its kind to recognise and include non-binary identities as part of its ah, sample. Okay. So it has a... Yeah. So... Um, like I started just you know writing up what I was learning but um what I thought would be important was like I'm gonna go explain some of the terms I'm gonna use because I know that like although most people will know the terms that I'm gonna use not everyone will there we do have some non-queer people who listen and um not always familiar with some of the random slang that we use or some of the random like acronyms um and I mean regardless of of who the listeners are like it's always important always good always important yep 
yeah, recover it. Um, so the study collected responses from like secret and closed transgender support groups and also general access Facebook group for um, the Anglia Ruskin students. Uh, so they got like a good um, selection of people for the study. And first, so gender is not the same as uh, sex and it's not about biology. Gender is about expression, identity, and it's much more rooted in social and cultural expression. So when you're born, a doctor sees your physical bits and will just say that's a girl or that's a boy based and what you have and they assign you your gender your social gender based off that and for most people they're assigned their assigned gender will match up to their personal identity and expression and those people we call cisgendered um, but and for anybody who grows up feeling that their gender or their identity doesn't match the one that they were assigned at birth we'd call those people trans we would refer to someone who was assigned female at birth who identifies as a man as a trans man or trans male and we would uh, refer to someone who was assigned male at birth and identifies as a woman a trans woman Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I've also heard people use the term for trans non-binary for people who identify as non-binary regardless of what gender they're assigned. But this particular study, the authors make a distinction, distinction between the group of trans men and women and then the non-binary people are a third group. Okay. Sorry, are a second group and the cis people are a third group. Um, so they're not, the trans non-binary people are not in the trans group uh, in this study. Okay. Okay. Whew, so got that down. Uh, does that make sense? Yes. Cool. So briefly, I'm going to quickly cover the autism spectrum disorder. Um, some people call it autism spectrum condition instead, and it's a complex like developmental condition, and it involves things like persistent challenge with social interactions, verbal and nonverbal communication, and also usually has some um, hallmarks of repetitive um, or restrictive behaviours. It's the NHS website says like it's something you're born with, or it can just first appear very early in life, mm. um, and because more evident as you kind of develop and, and grow up um, as a child sort of socialising and it's like it's not an illness and What's it's not the a restrictive behaviour? So um, this can be to do with Would that be to do with uh, socialisation or? Um, yeah but also things like uh, needing very strict routines and right. um, having repetitive behaviours doing the same patterns um, things like that but um, it's actually it's different for everybody who has autism so like there's it's not a it's not a disease or illness um and there's there's no cure for autism or anything like that but um for everybody that that has autism you know the severity and the symptoms are different for mm. everyone um it varies from person to person that's why they call it a spectrum and you know many people with ASD live full independent like normal lives and one having one symptom of ASD doesn't always like a one particular trait doesn't always mean you have autism. Mm -hmm. It's like it's a cl cluster of traits, but not everyone will have every symptom in that cluster. Yeah. So that's a bit like I suppose you wouldn't be considered as having obsessive compulsive disorder if you just are a clean person. You know, it would be a, a, there's a other things which that people come often into play. get wrong. Yes. <laughs> yeah, including like um, intrusive thoughts and things like that, because mm -hmm. um, it's you know a lot of this stuff is psychological. It's it's very complex experience of, a, of an individual person but yeah we go on um the evidence from this anglia ruskin university sorry the results of this anglia ruskin university research seems to uh, suggests and continue like suggests on t contributing to other research that autism spectrum disorder traits not not diagnoses um traits are higher in trans and non-binary groups than in general population samples which in the general population includes everyone including trans and non-binary and it's not like everyone outside of those groups it's yep. everyone so they had like 177 participants in the study and they did an online quiz that attested for traits for they had one which was the autism uh 
quotient so a quotient is like a, a diagnostic assessment like like yeah a questionnaire that is used to kind of assess or measure potential traits in someone so as part of this quiz there were four four elements to it one which measures specific autism traits one that measures your kind of empathy capacity what and that's called the empathy quotient yeah. uh, systematizing which is uh, measuring the level of like very systematic thinking patterns um which is also associated with autism mm-hmm and one called Reading the Mind in the Eye, which uh, kind of, I thought it was quite quite a fun name. <laughs> but that's about like being able to interpret body language um, yeah, okay. and, and subtle things like that, which, again, difficulties in that particular area are often associated with autism. Mm. But they use all four because it's, it's a very complex um, set of traits. Yeah. So and then the results from those questionnaires that were used to, to sort of assess how much how strongly or how highly someone scores in terms of autism likelihood or like there's a cutoff point at which point about like if your score is beyond that you are likely to have autism even if you didn't have a diagnosis right and then they compared those results to the self-reported gender identity of the participants so they let the participants um just select which of their gender was based on that okay so we're going to start getting to some numbers which i find really interesting <laughs> I, so i read the original article and i was just like going through it like reading the the conclusions the results just been like wow and then I was like oh I've got to look at the methodology went back and read the methodology <laughs> I was just having a real time all that you, all those years in science you education data whore, you love it I know it's awful uh so they found that trans non-binary groups scored significantly higher on measures of autism spectrum disorder in the quiz than the cis group okay so although both groups trans and non-binary as a whole had a higher number of participants diagnosed with asd or met the cutoff point for asd um it was mostly within those two groups it was mostly people who were assigned female at birth who primarily drove the high level of asd compared to the cis group so that means that trans men and non-binary people who were assigned female at birth were predominantly the people um, scoring highly for autism uh, spectrum disorder in in this research study. So there was 109 trans and non-binary participants, 14 of which had ASD diagnosis. 68 of the participants were cis. 4% of those had an ASD diagnosis. So there's 10% more already in the trans Mm. and non-binary group. But then an additional 28% of trans and non-binary people scored enough to potentially have ASD, autism spectrum disorder. These were predominantly the uh, assigned female at birth, trans men and non-binary groups, Mm. which is, from my interpretation, that means that almost half, so like 42% of the sample, almost half of trans and non-binary people scored highly enough to, um, scored highly for autistic kids compared to just 4% in the sample group, which is... Yeah, it's it's really really significant stuff, like statistically significant stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And it it's so as well. Like although just the fact that it was people who were assigned female at birth participants that were um, scoring the higher levels of autism traits in the questionnaire, it's actually norm. Like in the general population, ASD is about three times more likely in cis men and those who were assigned male at birth than cis women and those who are assigned female at birth, okay? okay. So it's generally more likely for um, men to have ASD as well. In terms of di- so, diagnosis? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. diagnosis. Mm. But then that means that there is a, there's a much higher representation of female assigned at birth people with ASD traits in the trans and non-binary 
population. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I need a, a little accompanying diagram. Um, yeah, I'm thinking I might I might try and do some um, graphics for this because it's it, it is you need to kind of see some of the there was no pie charts or anything, but <laughs> I could make a pie chart. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> And it is because it's 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 honestly it's not just slightly more than you expect. It is way more staggering than you would expect. Staggering difference. And this is, you know, this is my 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 reading of the the paper. And I've had people check my workings and and, and it, it should be a good reflection of the paper. But, you know, I'm willing to be wrong on this as well. Okay, so and that's that's kind of proportional representation the fact that there's not proportional representation um even if it is exaggerated um like of everyone with asd in the trans and non-binary groups it's disproportionately more the people assigned female at birth and one of the reasons that um it suggested that that might be the case is that actually you know um in in people who are assigned female at birth and young girls there's often asd often goes underdiagnosed okay so Mm -hmm. symptoms of asd in in like people who were assigned female at birth tends to be they tend to be different symptoms they're also less researched and much less well understood and a psychologist i spoke to a few days ago was saying that actually little uh, as children when they're like read as girls tend to be much better socialized with other children than boys so boys are often told go play outside play with your trucks like play on your own but young girls Mm. are told to go and play with other kids so they learn to mask or hide their autism uh, autistic traits learn some kind of social cues i guess yeah yeah they're forced to learn it because if you're more socialized you're also more subjected to other people pointing out your traits that might be different okay so they're learning how to mask it rather than um yeah yeah it's not it's not learning to just to socialize it's learning to to hide who you are like hide hide your your autistic traits Mm. you know that so for that reason like it could it could be the case that just as many people who were assigned female at birth have asd as male assigned at birth because people who were assigned female at birth often don't get a diagnosis okay but you know that that might not be the case um it may genuinely be that Mm. that it is more common in male assigned at birth people who um and that and then and then the the presence of there being an overrepresentation of people who were assigned female at birth is still much more significant anyway that is like a bit of a difficult one to to get like i didn't quite get my head around it because it's it's kind of like two hypotheticals on top of each other about well if that is the case then that might be Mm. the case and then that would mean that this is the case (laughs) um yeah exactly but um there's so it's there's a bunch of reasoning okay a bunch of reasoning and theories uh that i read all over the place get get, get to the why tell me tell me why yeah sorry i know i know there's had to be so much build up you i had to go through all of that so those are the facts so that's the yeah those are the facts thank you so much for absorbing all of that so that we can have a kind of bite size and because it took me so long to work it out i had to tell you because i I was not going to let that that time go to waste (laughs) so yeah there's like why why might there be a link between gender and uh, sexual gender and sexual variance and autism spectrum mm. disorder because um and and 
there's I've got a few different theories that uh, most of which are in the paper. One one of which I think comes from um, one of the autism uh, specific uh, organisation websites. You know, they all have their own merits. Some and so they all have their own like pros and cons in terms of viability. And so and also there's just even if one of them is the best answer, there will not be a singular answer to how that link comes about because that's just not how psychology and that's just not how brains work and that's just not how people work. There's never one answer for any anything with the brain. Uh, yeah, it's not, we're not that done simple. Here. Exactly, exactly. And so for every person who's queer and also on the spectrum, there will be a different combination of, of these things that are, that led to them being queer in their own way. One, it's possible that people who have ASD traits are less influenced by social pressure to conform and so are more likely to express their gender in a way that suits them internally, regardless of the societal expectations around them of their gender expression of their gender and expression. Just because the world is telling you that you should be one way, um, someone with ASD is often less likely to be influenced by that pressure. Mm, more inclined to be their authentic self. Exactly, exactly. Um, so then the second one, the specific high scores of the autism quotient, the, the first first part of the quiz and low scores in the empathy quotient um, measuring ability for empathy may not actually be a sign of autism spectrum disorder specifically but could be to do with the fact that if you are being treated socially in a way that doesn't match your kind of internal experience of yourself your subjective experience and you're told your whole life life that you're one thing when you feel a different thing you you learn not to trust your own experience as much and that can Mm. that means your empathy doesn't develop as much um, and result Resulting in a more systematic, quote, cold cognition to follow the rules, to fit in, you know, rather than um, to do with those autism traits. You know, it's a result of being treated differently societally, not Mm. a result of autism spectrum disorder. So that's another another theory. The low uh, empathy quotient scores of trans and non-binary people in the survey could be to do with, again, social rejection uh, resulting in the as a result of their identity, meaning the social development has been negative negatively affected and limited but that's this this particular theory doesn't quite hold water for the particular reason that if you look at research on children specifically with gender dysphoria they have elevated levels of yeah. all of the autism spectrum disorder traits not just a low empathy okay um and then it's also possible that it's cuz society hasn't got <laughs> to them yet but you know kids kids pick up on a lot you know it's not like i think that kids like i know it's like a case of maybe they haven't been got yet by the kind of shitty part of um (laughs) yeah they're pretty authentic but they do (laughs) they notice and they hear and they're listening you know sometimes you'll say something near a kid and you don't think they've listened because they're playing and doing something else but then they ask you about it (laughs) later and you're like oh no like what does fuck mean and you're like but yeah uh (laughs) sorry carrying on because i don't want to take up uh all of the time on this so it's also possible that there is something about the way the survey was circulated which led to more people with ASD completing the survey. So um, as opposed to people without ASD, it might be the case that, for example, people with ASD are more likely to reach out for support in online groups rather than in person. Though even if that was the case, uh, in Debbie Luxon's interview with um, one of the doctors at the Tavistock and Portman Gender Clinic said that actually it seems to be, like anecdotally, most people who work with um, gender pa- uh, patients with gender dysphoria they do confirm that most of their patients they feel have ASD but you know that that may Mm. also just be like I said it is anecdotal and then there is 
a, a specific theory, which I think is very interesting, concerning the over-representation of people assigned female at birth with ASD. And I, I was pointed in the direction of Simon Baron Cohen, who coincidentally is the cousin of Borat Ali G famous Sasha Baron Cohen lives in lives in Cambridge he does he's a noteworthy he's actually a sir I believe he's a um a researcher who who mostly researches um autism spectrum Mm. disorder and in the 90s he incorporated a bunch of tests um of social intelligence patterns recognition into his autism studies um and in the general population these tests show clear sex differences women tend to perform well on tests for social intelligence and men tend to do well at the following uh, following rules and recognizing patterns mm. that could be social conditioning but let's say that it's not let's say that it is just a sex difference between people assigned female at birth and those male assigned male at birth baron cohen found that autistic people generally have trouble with social intelligence but do much better with patterns and rules and he has developed his theory of what he calls the extreme male brain for autism um which would mean so people who have autistic autistic traits to the extent of, of being classified as having mm-hmm. autism have what is called this extreme male brain, which is linked to the male cognition of rule following uh, patterns and not very good at social um, intelligence. Yeah, social intelligence. Too busy with their rules and patterns. Yeah. So it's and 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 this is important because then it would be that if you were assigned female at birth and autistic, you would have this male brain. And therefore, you would much more likely identify with masculinity, masculine traits, maleness mm. than femaleness. And as a result of, the, of those reasons, you may uh, be more likely than people without ASD to act on those feelings of gender dysphoria and uh, identify with maleness and masculinity and be a trans man or a non-binary person. That's interesting. Person. That's super yeah. Interesting. And that is, that is yeah. But uh, so actually, one last thing um, that... The male brain theory doesn't actually explain everything because there are also more gay men with ASD than heterosexual men. And the male brain for ASD doesn't explain that. Right. Um, okay, but it doesn't, I, I suppose it doesn't need to explain everything because like we said, it's like a very complex area. Like, mm, I guess, brains are not yeah, simple. I guess you could like, replace, you know, male brain with, or extreme male brain with sort of, uh, you know, confident or self-assured or you know that idea of maybe Mm. maybe kind of you know dominance and just kind of Mm. self you know and self-expression being linked to confidence and yeah yeah there's a lot there's a lot to that kind of just being Mm. yourself element to it you know um and i i really i really um found it interesting reading some of the the stuff on the the um autism organization websites about like the the likelihood not not having more likely to be but like what's the term that people with autism are more likely to just be themselves regardless of what society is yeah to live authentically and and you know although like it's not always the case like there's definitely um so I was speaking to someone recently whose brother has ASD and he is he finds it very difficult to understand and accept like gender and sexual variances and I and um we sort of were talking about the systematized the systematic cognition style uh you know with the rules mm. uh rule-based thinking uh cognition and how you know if you've had to 
learn the rules of society to kind of function within it and you're following this kind of rule-based understanding if someone then comes in and says like oh no but like gender and sexuality are sort of just whatever that's going to be quite hard to like incorporate into that understanding of the world but so you know i'm not i'm not saying that it is easy for everybody with asd this is just you know my interpretation of this this paper and these articles that i've read but yeah sorry that that was was that was so much so much to take in and so much that was a recent study that was 2019 did you it was 2019 it was early 2019 but yeah it's a really recent one and it builds on loads of stuff and and you know i i read an article as well on autism.org about a guy called tom moran and he was you know i think it's really important to 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 understand that being both lgbt being queer and having asd you know he talked about it being like having two identities and that his workplace often tends to have really forward um like queer inclusion but completely lacks resources for people with asd you know it's like it seems like a really uh like such a duality to live with and i tried to look up some resources on like queer asd support groups but most of them seem very like location specific Mm -hmm. and so that's that's likely something that it's like if it is something that you'd want to go to 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 look it up in your um like local facebook groups local organizations that and and there's quite a lot in the u.s actually um that i was looking at but i guess it's also a much bigger place and it feels like there's a lot here right there's especially to do with like the queer community and making sure that we're supporting our members with asd yeah and you know we've got to be like to be inclusive of neurodiversity because as well like it is the case that queer like queer people are more or like like what is it is it queer people are more likely to be to have asd or or people with ASD are more likely to be queer. Either way, like we need to be inclusive of them, those people as our mm. family, because that's like the whole point of a queer community, you know, to we can't just yeah. again, we've said it many times before, we're not free until everyone's free. We need to be supporting of yeah, everyone. Definitely. Um and actually uh, slightly like on a on an interesting note, like Stephen Stagg in his interview with Debbie Luxon was saying that his work he feels have real like real life implications in terms of sex education and relationship education in schools. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you, know? you know, there's it's it needs to be LGBT inclusive still anyway, because like it's terrible at that already like still. But then, you know, it also needs to be inclusive of, of like people with ASD because not every relationship, mm-hmm. even if it's a queer one, looks the same. Not every relationship involves for example, like hand yeah. holding or kissing or whatever. It's that intersectionality, isn't it, that we've spoken about before, you know? To have neurodiversity and Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, and be on, you know, the queer the queer journey, you know, there's can be lots yeah. of things coming at you. Yeah. And it's you know, there is there's a stigma that, that people with ASD are just like are difficult and like that's a rhetoric that I heard a lot when mm. I was growing up but it's not true it's really right? damaging people word, with ASD make up a lot of the queer community they make up a lot of like you know one of the studies I read said that people with ASD are like one in 59 that's not uncommon mm. at all and and you know it's our I think it's our duty to like like it is our duty to make make sure everyone is included and like seen and heard yeah. and visibility isn't it there needs to be so much more yeah full visibility for who you are as a whole person not just one aspect and that is i promise you i'm done i was now. trying to think of um uh, a charity that that i, I could um I could throw in uh, in the mix and it's um i've just looked it up it's uh mind out um which is a mental mm. health charity f- um for the lgbtq community uh it's run it's a service uh, run by and for um lgbtq people um so mm. uh yeah that's a uk-based charity if uh, if you were looking um for kind of a hotline or um you know support yeah. or further information about mental health um and uh, things that affect um yeah queer uh trans and uh and everyone in the i was community. thinking of putting some um 
some like uh links to some of the sites uh in in the show notes um especially as i was the person i was talking to whose whose brother has asd they were talking about that some of the uh specific organizations for people with autism are not like inclusive uh, and also mm. don't come at it from a very accept like come at it from a way of of trying to assimilate rather than accept sure. who you are so i'm gonna like get a list of like recommended good inclusive like representative um yeah please organizations, do yeah, well, we um, shout to put onto the list the show notes yeah because i think it's important it's super it? important little superheroes everywhere <laughs> yeah yeah exactly thank you thanks so much no that's all right i know it's like oh such a such a huge information dump but I just I couldn't stop reading. It was so mm. so fascinating. Yeah, that is fascinating. Yeah, I don't and I um I didn't know that and um yeah, there's lots of lots of information to process. So thank you. You're welcome. What have you got for me this week, Daisy? So I've got um so from from science uh to um to art, I'm gonna Ooh. be um uh, I'm gonna be talking about um about Sappho, about the um, <gasps> the famed uh poet. Um, and iconic uh, queer writer Sappho, mm. who we have kind of uh, mentioned and has kind of been pepperings of um, her influence uh, throughout the podcast. And as a as a queer poet myself, sort of it's pretty inescapable <laughs> to, <you> know, <laughs> to to talk about poetry without. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, she's everywhere. You know, so many. You know, pay, really paved the way paved the way for so many queer writers um but i wanted to kind of talk about how um how she is documented and how her work is documented in history mm. um and you know some of the some of the kind of problematic uh, ways that she has been documented as well so that's what i'm going to talk about more on that later yeah. some of the sources i've used um makingqueerhistory.com uh, the new yorker and also uh, the poetry foundation course mm. um, uh, i've also got uh, the penguin the little collection of fragments it's called come closer which is mm. a lovely little uh cheap very cheap intro if you were looking for a kind of a starting a starting guide um so this is just going to be kind of sappho for beginners you know if you haven't heard of her where have you been <laughs> <laughs> just i'm just going to give you a real brief overview um, yeah that'll be i'm really excited please tell me so there'll be less kind of facts and data and more kind of speculation and you know the sauciness of the ancient greeks really. love it speculate and source <laughs> all over the place exactly so sappho uh, was born on the greek island of lesbos sometime around 615 bce um, at mm. the time, Greece was known to be f uh, far more accepting of same-sex love and attraction than it is today, unfortunately. So this was uh, obviously a good time, good time to be alive for her. Mm. Able to and she wrote, um, she was a poet who wrote freely and openly about her love of the island of Lesbos and also the women that lived on it. And as you may know, this is where the word lesbian originates from. Mm. So uh, key history. Um, the word sapphic. <laughs> Always wanted to go to the island of Lesbos and meet all the lesbos. Yeah, if you're in the, if you're in the area, you know, pop on over. Um, <laughs> lovely, you know, lovely beaches, if nothing else. The word sapphic uh, is often used to describe romantic love between two women. And that's, you know, a phrase that is still used today. Um, and, you know, although only a few fragments of her writing survived, she is still hailed as one of the greatest queer uh, poetic icons in history. Um, mm. Even these small fragments um, were enough to create this, you know, this trajectory, this path for many writers after her. You know, and it's because these words, these fragments were so sort of proud and fearless. So Sappho also plays quite an important role in offering historians this kind of unique lens into the lives of queer women in ancient Greece. You know, yeah. there's quite a documentary documentation of that is 
extremely rare actually and there's you know there's Imagine. heaps of information as you know as you found in in some of your mythology um expeditions you know there's a lot of information about um men and the male olympians and yeah there's there's not a lot about sort of the average um the average woman or you know especially queer women in ancient greece Mm. and so her work has actually played quite a vital part in shaping female um lgbtq history yeah or or female-led kind of history i should say um so i'm going to start by saying that uh, as with so much queer history there's a huge problem with erasure and i kind of want to talk about how uh, in some ways sappho um was was you know, her work was was really, um, you know, held in high esteem. So she couldn't be sort of scrubbed out, as it were. But she was, uh, so many historians have kind of gone, tried to go to great lengths to try and, you know, hide the, the queer side of her identity. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, homophobia it certainly exists um, in academia as well as, you know, the rest of the world. And yeah, part of the speculation of her sexuality comes from the fact that there is so little of her work remaining so you've got these kind of tiny fragments which people are kind of fighting over um to try and you know to Mm. try and get um you know the truth out of squeeze the truth out of and uh it's rumored that her uh, perceived promiscuous behavior led to pope gregory burning most of her work in 1073 which is pretty extreme being his bonnet um (laughs) what dick what a dick um what the fuck man so, you know, by that sort of time, you know, homophobia was, was starting to creep in and, and you know, becoming Sounds fairly pretty rife. Pretty rife. Yeah. Hmm. Um, scholars in later years tried desperately hard to frame Sappho's life and work in a more kind of hetero context, mm. um, such as uh, a priestess. Um, she was described as a priestess by someone, um, as if that would explain her sort of erotic descriptions yeah, of goddess. <laughs> yeah, she has all no, these no, great... It's okay. She's a priestess. That's why she wants to have sex. That's with all why the women. she's obsessed with the goddesses. Obviously, um, and she thinks they're beautiful. In some cases, uh, she's described as a. She's cited as a headmistress of a girls' school. <laughs> oh, that's that's worse. <laughs> yeah, surely these women who followed her—they weren't her lovers. Definitely not. They were studious pupils, of course, of course, of course. Um, yes, yeah. it's just really kind of you know, <laughs> it's just really kind of yeah pathetic attempts not pathetic but estranged attempts at hiding that she was a yeah massive lesbian some ancient writers assumed that there there had to have been two sapphos uh, one the great poet and the other the notorious slut many agree <laughs> however that... for sexuality of my personality <laughs> yeah you can't possibly be both a you know a great poet um and also love sex no um... no 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 artists aren't obsessed with sex yeah we're all they don't, they're not absolutely every single one of them <laughs> um oh so my God. but uh, look you know in most in most instances um uh many agree that like her words just you know they speak for themselves mm. and in order to have um your work you know the work remembered and treasured you have to allow for the global readership and you know the queer fandom within that to analyze the work and you know make up make up our own minds really so we're gonna we're gonna take that we're gonna claim it yeah sappho first um and uh maybe oldest uh queer queer poet um gotta gotta claim it she's amazing i'm fairly sure someone told me or i read somewhere that they even changed the pronouns in her poetry when in publications to make it so that she was writing about a man instead yeah, of a yeah. woman or like a he instead of a she and it's just like going to such like homophobia sounds like so mm, much effort yeah. to be like you have to put effort in to, to rewrite history it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's a big you know just just tell her how it is guys like what if you just didn't care wouldn't that be easier <laughs> and you just let her be gay she's like a couple of thousand years dead i think 
she'll be all right. Yeah, and it's it. only you know it's only in hindsight or in later years that actually people started to have a have a problem with it, and you know we see this throughout history, right? So there's this question yeah. about um the poetic or lyrical eye and the use of the first person in her work, and whether this mm. is a, a tool for narrative um and performance rather than being her actual opinion or her actual persona. Um, so whether this is a kind of you know whether. She, you know it's a narrator and you know male or female mm. as in like maybe she didn't want to be a, like maybe she wanted to be a slut but wasn't really. <laughs> so she wrote about it yeah instead. just kind of saying like is Sappho this kind of narrator that uses I as a tool it doesn't have to be you know her persona yeah yeah is she taking yeah. on a role yeah the untrustful what was the untrustworthy narrator that's not yeah something like that I know the one you mean I listened in <laughs> we were there <laughs> yeah I was so there uh, secondly, uh, it was often the case that live poetry and um, theatrical monologues at the time would have been performed in groups or choruses, which again changes the intention of the speaker using I um, and talking about kind of uh, individual desire in verse. You know, if, if a group of, you know, if a Greek chorus is saying, I fancy the pants off you, it's um, it's it's very different to kind of one intimate, intimate moment with a, a performer saying, I really fancy the past. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's a lot yeah. more intense. So uh, within Sappho's fragments, there is there is something deeply uh, personal that recounts uh, the individual experience of desire and longing. Um, something that mm. wasn't really wasn't really done uh, that much in any kind of in any kind of artwork or poetry um, of the time. So um, I think there's you know there's certainly enough evidence for queer readers to, to kind of cling to the argument that it would have been uh, Sappho's own voice or at least um, an intention of champion a, a, an individual queer female voice at least. So I've got a little got a little snippet, got a little fragment um, which I'm going to read to you Please now. Please do. Here's an example. Oh, it puts the heart in my chest on wings, for when I look at you a moment, then no speaking is left in me. No tongue breaks and thin fire is racing under skin wow so pretty raunchy stuff um so you know that's a really descriptive um individual response to the feeling of desire you know fire racing under skin the heart in in your chest having wings you know it's a really um it's really poignant and, and beautiful um and you know maybe not as you know it's definitely quite sexy but maybe not from the point of view of 10 um, chorus members shouting it at you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd probably <laughs> interpret the moment slightly differently if it was 10 people yelling that at me instead of one person, like, whispering it <laughs> yeah, softly. I, no, definitely. I think I definitely prefer um, poetry to be whispered softly in my ear um, <laughs> to me and no one else rather than um, sort of flung at me by... Um, <laughs> A sort of shouting brigade of um, theatrical voices, but you know that's just me. Um, oh, don't think it's <laughs> so just the, you, Daisy. <laughs> uh, for the ancient Greeks, the term uh, lyric poetry, for which Sappho is famed, uh, was written to be performed with a lyre accompaniment, uh, which again sounds rather lovely. So whether it's an individual poet or a group of uh, lyrical women reciting poetry, just just send them in my direction. Um, <laughs> I'm not fussy. Uh, music and poetry, I think, uh, always um, has gone hand in hand, you know, and especially, you know, from the ancient Greeks right through to today. Um, you know, storytelling and music is 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 very common, uh, a common pairing. Though if we if we remember that uh, Sappho's poetry is only available in fragments, um, that kind of breaks, might sort of break the rhythm uh, somewhat. In some cases, her poetry is only available, you know, only a couple of lines might remain. I remember one about, like, because I, I see it, like in memes even of just being mm. like I cannot it's weave perfect. I've got so much longing for this woman that I can't even weave and it's like I'm just so horny I can't do anything like I'm too gay to function weave. but that's it 
like there's no more context only yeah. that but it's perfect meme poetry because it's so it's so it's so short and, and fragmented it's mm. you know absolutely perfect you know to be reclaimed by the um sapphic instagram audience <laughs> oh that's me oh, god damn <laughs> <laughs> i don't don't apologize uh so by 2015 uh, around 250 fragments uh, were known to have been catalogued of which fewer than 70 contain complete lines so there's really oh, not that wow. many that are yeah. um, sort of in their entirety and, and some many actually consist of just a few words so you know being attributed to to, to memes um <laughs> It's maybe a little bit of a sad destiny for them, but um, you know the fact that they're still out there is um, you know, That's it's so heartbreaking. But yeah, um, so these are. Can I can I ask? They were burned by a sad pope who was yep. a loser, and <laughs> the the fragments that are being archived have they are they like additional fragments that were found that weren't burned or is someone going through the pile of ashes like having a look for the fragments like what's going on you know it seems that there is you know a very you know while of, of course historians kind of verbally or you know or in text in scriptures kind of erased um her sexuality a lot of the the physical work was was buried or burned by you know by the church really by these naughty popes who were probably just think you know they would only keep the writing that wasn't kind of sordid and, and filthy and full of you know lesbian intention really so you right. know so so he, he burned the porn yeah exactly but burnt anything that was pornographic or um you know sexy or raunchy or about same-sex love or anything like that anything too specific so mm. what you're left with is just the family friendly stuff um you know anything that can be held up as good as you know as good as a man at the time you know homer or so they had to keep some stuff you know she was really she was really highly regarded by the ancient greeks so they couldn't just get rid of everything and, and say no no she didn't exist at all because everyone goes well she was pretty great and we like her so you know and if, if you think about how much um of a of a figurehead um she is you know in the lgbt community you know her face is her work is always being it's always cropping up isn't it so i think it's quite it's really impressive that um her work has survived into today and is still being you know speculated over and 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 pulled up, um, you know, in examples, and you know, she's appearing in poetry mags still, and you know, that's pretty cool. That so only amazing. what a legacy! Yeah, it is. Uh, only one piece survives in its entirety, and it's, it's the one you mentioned. It's um the kind of playful hymn to the goddess Aphrodite, where Sappho calls upon her to become her uh, comrade in arms in a rather kind of erotic escapade, and she writes to Aphrodite, and you sublime and smiling with immortal mirth, asked what was wrong, why I this time called you to earth. What was my mad heart dreaming of and it's wow. no it's no accident that Sappho uh, chooses here to to hail Aphrodite um a goddess who is already uh, already known to behave quite outside uh, gender roles um mm -hmm. often pursuing sexual relations with mortal men which is you know extreme power play usually reserved <laughs> for you know male gods and male olympians so Sappho kind of asking her for camaraderie uh, in this empowered uh, figure is uh, is quite special uh, and utterly utterly deliberate so good on her yeah yeah if you're going to ask anyone to kind of come on a raunchy escapade um erotic escapade it might as well be aphrodite i guess get aphrodite yeah. on board uh, so as i said she was uh, highly regarded by the ancient greeks to be the kind of female counterpart to homer and where he was known as the great poet she was described as uh, the poetess uh she was highly regarded for her art and work and it was only yeah it was only in later years that historians and writers became just more intrigued with her sexuality than her poetry which is a bit of a shame um mm. You know, homosexuality was really. Well, I guess if there's if there's no if there's almost no poetry left to look at, then you'll be become more focused on the person. 
Yeah, you know, the evidence is, you know, it's there and, you know, there's been lots of different translations and, um, you know, some things are, are uncovered in, in various, you know, digs and, um, but they've, you know, I think most of it has pretty much been, been found now, to be honest. Um, um, so homosexuality was quite common uh, in ancient Greece, uh, no big deal. Um, many famous uh, male uh, figures are portrayed as having, you know, these similar invested interests in music and poetry and, of course, homosexual desire. Um, for example, Achilles, we've spoken about, um, one of the most famous Greek soldiers, a uh, key character in, in Homer's uh, The Iliad. Um, mm. He's frequently described in a kind of similar fashion as singing and playing the lyre uh, before turning in to bonk his best friend and uh, battlefield comrade uh, Patroclus. So kind of, mm. you know, fine. Hello. Fine if you're a, <laughs> fine if you're a dude. Uh, we'll kind of, you know, we'll still <laughs> classify you as a, a great... Uh, man of history um mm. but if if you're a woman we'll burn it yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's just like that whole thing of like men can do what they want but women aren't allowed control of their own sexuality but um that's a shame it's like i'm so i don't know can you feel bereft of something you never had like i wish i'd had the chance to read sappho's poetry in full especially the raunchy raunchy stuff yeah and i just you know we'll never we'll never be able to you know it's just it's just empowered verse isn't it you know um mm. uh, you know a person writing totally freely in a time when it was accepted and yeah we i guess we can warn i think mm. that is a fair response so there's a lot of uh, there's not a lot of um asexual uh, representation in ancient greece in general to be honest um most histor- historical references kind of s- would struggle uh, not to mention all the kind of fighting and, and fucking uh, at some point. So it's quite natural <laughs> to to assume that there would be this um, this speculation around Sappho and this kind of uh, intense preoccupation with her sexuality. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. Just kind of goes with the territory if you're talking about <laughs> if you're talking about ancient Greece. Though it is, yeah, it is a shame that it sometimes kind of shadows the poetry um, where, it, yeah, it may not have been the case um, for the men at the time uh, who partook in, you know, equal uh, homosexual acts. You know, the thing you know about yeah. Achilles is not that he was going to bed with, with Patroclus, it's it's that he is like the most violent soldier of the, you know, the Greek and Trojan yeah, War. Yeah. That's kind of, he's, you know, hounded as a hero, right? His legacy. Yeah. Um, so alongside this, uh, this kind of critical obsession with uh, Sappho's promiscuity and sexual identity, there was also this perceived fascination with the island um, of Lesbos as a kind of vehicle of eroticism uh, in itself. Mm. And the Victorian critic John Addington Simmons uh, thought Sappho's homeland to be directly connected to the erotic climate of her poems. What? So it was, it was just a horny it was island. Just in is the that air. What you're yeah. Um, so <laughs> in his uh, in a 1872 essay on the poet, he describes Lesbos as the island of overmastering passions, uh, which should go on the holiday oh, brochure. Wow. To be honest, because <laughs> I think that's... yeah, they should they should use that to their advantage. Yeah, I think we'd all you know we'd all head over there pretty pretty quickly. And absolutely. Um, you know, queer people pouring in by boat. So we, yeah, we see this kind of uh, continued narrative of uh, the inhabitants of Lesbos uh, being kind of, you know, scandalous, sex-crazed maniacs, uh, which is, you know, kind of kind of sad um, because it just kind of feeds into this narrative that um, lesbians and queer women uh, are often, you know, heavily sexualized, sadly, by heterosexual males, uh, even today, um, you know, whether they're writing poetry or, and lounging around with their loose morals on the Greek Isles or not, um, you know, they do suffer this, um, yeah, this kind of discrimination, really. Mm. So the the word uh, lesbian 
to the ancient Greeks was actually used to describe uh, blowjobs, um, funnily enough, which is um, what? <laughs> what the uh, because of uh, this is what the occupants of the island of Lesbos were allegedly famed for. Um, and whether this what, was a kind of as in as in famed for giving blowjobs or like just that they all did it. Apparently, that was just what um, Lesbos was, uh, you know, known for. And it's and whether this was just another attempt in you know in in history and and uh, you know to connect semantics to uh, sexual promiscuity, you know, we don't know. But um, it it seems like it's just a, another kind of tenuous link to try and say that you know women are sluts and their work is less. Right. You know. Yeah. So yeah. No, that makes I don't sense. know if you know about this, but there was uh, this tenuous tenuous story that cited Sappho as having um yeah having a husband oh yeah <laughs> a certain a certain gentleman uh with the li- uh, the literal translated name of of penis from the ma- uh, from the town of man manhood uh so dick from the town of man yep good we get it doesn't oh yep no yeah 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 but that's not how history history works uh that's not how it works so it doesn't quite stand up i'm afraid oh excuse the pun sorry that was terrible um <laughs> we're gonna just like let's just assume she was hella gay and as her writing suggests yeah and i love that like i thought i didn't i didn't think it was like a i thought sappho had written about her husband being dicks of man island or something <laughs> i didn't think it was just a rumor i thought she'd written it as like almost a joke yeah. to herself and people were like oh yeah see no no she had a husband like, and, she's, mm. and like she's laughing in her grave like you fucking idiots yeah the irony of just like taking things you know so literally and yeah de- you know that desperation to cling on to um you know the heteronormative narrative i guess in in mm. history exactly. and you know she's you know these adoring descriptions yeah female beauty uh goddesses she describes female lust as you know a really empowered thing um which was which was quite rare and you know wasn't described ever before really and still fairly rare now for it to be described as empowering so much as like as opposed to like a weakness or a disorder Mm, you know definitely and you know there's some really there's real queer themes in in her work you know she recites this kind of really nuanced feelings um, and quite familiar queer concepts of of, you know bittersweet passion unrequited love and that kind of yearning desire and the way she describes Mm. desire as kind of as a kind of really physical um attack on the body or you know coursing through you know the veins and the fire under the skin you know it's, it's very descriptive and it's very personal yeah. and also i think the mm. you know the very fact that sappho's work appears in fragments is queer as hell i think we're forever piecing together our, our queer history um you know stories that have been buried and, and burnt and destroyed and in turn kind of uncovered and you know we've got this kind of academic cultural spiritual tapestry that you know as a community we're still still weaving together and, and growing and it's kind of our job to yeah. you know to kind of to reclaim these these bits of history uh, whether they're in fragments or not i think mm, no i see that i see that like metaphor and, and yeah i think it's queer man yeah that's incredible because it is it is a case of like finding the fragments among everything else the bits that reflect us back and trying to put them together to make some sense of the world and where we fit into it absolutely um so much of uh sappho's work offers a really simple celebration of love uh, and desire um it's it's very stark Mm. it's emotive and intimate and you know written to be addressed uh directly to a circle of, of close friends of lovers and probably just other women you know you know unlike yeah. the the impersonal and the the highly dramatic kind of epic poetry uh, that was kind of kicking around at the same time um Sappho's work has undoubtedly influenced and impacted modern queer poets um 
if you are a modern queer poet and you haven't heard of her get to know because you know Mm. it's just this really uh the positive emphasis on emotion and um individual kind of subjective experience rather than it being i mean a lot of the poetry at the time was kind of uh, ceremonial or liturgical uh you know performed in in ceremony and worship and things like that so to do something to write you know about individual love and desire was quite was quite bold and quite and quite different and um yeah it all kind of stems from there really yeah no that's I think it's such an important part of of queer history especially like uh, like lesbian history uh, queer women history in general like and it's it's just been so manipulated I want to say and just like so twisted away from it being something we can identify with by many, like for many reasons and, and in many ways burning changing mm. pronouns like reframing her as this or that and making it like trying to distance it from its its queerness and her mm. queerness and and it's just like it feels important it feels important to know yeah. about her Impo- and like so important because you know you said what 600 bc before yeah. Like, so that's 2,600 years ago. Like, so queerness wasn't invented in the early 2000s or the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, we've there's always been queer people yeah. around. And like, it is. Yeah, it's a legacy. It's it's part of our history. It's important to know about. And it's just, you you got to know. you got to learn. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just amazing. It's a huge testament to um, her work and, and to the um, the historians who, you know, queer or not, um, who appreciated the the works of art um as the ancient greeks did and you know i think there's there certainly is a place for um for for queer people to write about desire and and to be seen and for that to be visible and essentially that's what it was you know it was a recorded visibility of um the queer experience and you know it's it's it shouldn't be groundbreaking that she's talking about um same sex love and desire and and i think a, yeah, a lot of no queer... not at all or even like even desire in general like I just feel like even if she'd been if she had been writing about men, if it was as graphic as as you seem mm. to suggest, I feel like it would have been destroyed yeah. anyway. And it just it shouldn't be groundbreaking that that a woman has desires. Yeah. I mean, for queer anybody. poetry, modern queer poetry, it's always um, the kind of go to place to to look at um, emotion and yeah. And I think that is such a topic that is so policed in history. You know, queer people are queer people are fine uh, if they're just you know keeping quiet about the sexual side of um, existence. And so to have it mm. kind of yeah championed uh, and expressed and in you know yeah. empowered form by Sappho is a uh, pretty badass pretty badass so thanks Sappho and um yeah get yeah there's so much there's so much stuff online (laughs) yeah so much I'm looking forward to actually I was looking at a book of Sappho's poems in a a gaze the word but then I'd already got six books for myself (laughs) so I decided I didn't need any more um but coincidentally I've just been looking at how to buy a liar because I kind of want one (laughs) but I think I need to um stick to other tasks I've given myself (laughs) such as buying some queer tartan and starting one thing one thing at a time I don't get ahead of myself honestly I don't have time to learn how to play a liar I shouldn't be getting a liar (laughs) (laughs) well we can uh... but yeah no that was really great thank you thank Thank you you for like doing that research and putting that together you too thanks so much what a great way to kick off the year yeah exactly great way to kick off the year and and, um, thank you for listening and if you want to if you want to get us on the social media uh, we're at Radio Zaddy uh, Radio X-A-D-D-Y on Twitter and on Instagram at the 
moment we we're the same i think radio zaddy uh yes we are exactly the same on instagram so radio zaddy radio x-a-d-d-y um we really want to like know what you want to hear about give us your suggestions because um you know there's only so much thinking we can do before we <laughs> get worn down in this crazy pandemic covid world so let us know yeah, what's we're going just, on we're just queer fish you know swimming around and we need a little hook uh, to latch on give to. us a hook give us a hook guys um <laughs> but yeah thank you so much for listening um i've been hannah bestwick and this has been daisy tg with me and i guess that's all for for this episode see you next time and stay safe in the meantime <laughs> see you next time read some suffer oh my god yeah <laughs> bye take care bye